You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. All right, go with me to Psalms 119. We've been uh, using 162 through 165. It kind of is our kickoff verse each week for this lesson. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James again this week, uh, this verse. It says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have they of those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Father, I thank you that you have granted us great peace through your word, through your law of love, and through your communicated law of righteousness. We thank you, Lord, as we stop each day multiple times to praise you, to thank you, to prayerfully consider your word, to stand for truth, to stand for righteousness, for it is more important than a great treasure. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just recap really quick for those who uh, haven't been with us the last couple weeks. We started off by talking about fear. There's been a lot of fear put out into our environment. And we, we looked and we said, that hey, worry is fear manifest and the destroyer of faith. People all worried about this thing and that thing and what's going to happen. And, um, you know, in Matthew it says, take no thought for your life. You know, let tomorrow take care of its own things sufficient for the day. David refused to fear. He refused to fear, fear the lion. He refused to fear the bear. And he refused to fear the giant of the Philistines. David made God bigger on the inside than the problem was on the outside. And we talked about diligence, about how having a diligent spirit, about having, how having a diligent life prepared David to be king. It prepared him for a diligent life. God doesn't always choose perfect people, but God does choose diligent people. Amen? You know, we are righteous, but we're not perfect. We have a right to stand in the presence of God. Amen? But we're not perfect. You know, the priest, he had to get his heart right when he went into the Holy of Holies in the Old Covenant. But because they didn't know whether the priest really would or not, they would tie a rope to his leg just in case. He went into the, holy, the holies and fell dead. They had to drag him out. Put bells around his robes so they could hear whether he was still walking. God doesn't always choose perfect people, but God does choose diligent people. Diligence is one of the most powerful forces in the kingdom. And then we start talking about obedience and about the fact that we have to wear our own armor. You have to be obedient for yourself to God. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your kids can't do it for you. Your mom and dad can't do it for you. You have got to be obedient for yourself. You've got to put on your own armor. And we learn that obedience is better than sacrifice. Jesus said it this way. Hear my words and do them. Be obedient to my words. Because he is the word. And from it do spring the answers to all the issues of life. And I've been starting each week with a couple quotes, so I thought I would do that again today. Here's the first quote. Obedience to God is the pathway to the life you really want to live. 
Joyce Myers. Obedience to God is the pathway to the life you really want to live. And the second one says, Various are the pleas and arguments which men of corrupt minds frequently urge against, yielding obedience to the just and holy commands of God. Evangelist George Whitfield. He was an incredible evangelist in, in Europe in the 1700s and a powerful man of God. But he understood the importance of obedience. So we want to talk about loving God's law again today. How I love your law, Lord. So let me connect the lessons together. We said that fear paralyzes believers and restrains otherwise diligent individuals from their pursuit of purpose and manifests itself in lack of obedience. See, David in 1 Samuel said, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a purpose? Isn't there a reason? Isn't there a, a why to, 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 to living? Isn't there a reason why I'm here? Isn't there a reason for Israel to be here facing these Philistines? Isn't there somebody who understands that there is a cause to take out this giant who's cursing God? There is a cause. Obedience. Now, if David hadn't been obedient, he wouldn't have been there. Because remember, his dad said, hey, load up, that, load up the donkey with, with all this food and, and take it to your brothers who are arrayed in battle. And when David got there, he heard the Philistine. After 30 days, the Philistine was still cursing God and cursing his people. David said, isn't there a cause? Isn't there somebody who will rise up and shut this big giant's mouth? So there certainly is a purpose. David understood the importance of knowing by God's word, what he needed to do. He obeyed God. He, David, you read, you read about David, you'll find out he was not a perfect person. But he was a man after God's own heart because he obeyed God. David was far from perfect and his sins were many. But he always came back to God. And when we read the book of Psalms, you can hear the cry of David's heart. His cry sprang from from, from an obedience, from a heart of diligence towards God and his desire to please God. But we don't always do things, do things right. So let's talk about obedience. See, David's years of being diligent, worshiping, praying, reading, hearing the accounts of God resulted in a desire for him to be obedient. I mean, that's the, 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 that should be the purpose that why we're here. Because we want to connect with God. We want to commune with God. We want to fellowship with God. We want to be obedient to God. God did not give us direction and rules so that, we, so that he could take things away from us. He did it so that we could live the best life we were designed to live. So we could live a purpose-filled life. His commands, his direction, the obedient path is about bettering you. Now, it's not uncommon to think that we can do it better ourselves. But the desire of, of praying, reading, worship, and fellowship, it, it, our desire to, to be obedient grows. Our confidence in God grows, which means it eliminates fear. Remember, David, David was not operating in fear. His trust in God was big. God had become so big on the inside that the problems on the outside were, were, were diminished. 
When we saw David last or two weeks ago, when we talked about how David heard in, in Keilah that, that the Philistines were oppressing the people, that they were raiding their wine presses. David asked God, because he remembered hearing about his great, great, great relatives. He remembered about hearing about Gideon and what God had called him to do as a mighty man of valor. And David rose up and he went, in, he went into battle. David's relationship with God was personal, as ours should be. Our relationship with God should be personal. See, when I, when I was in a different, you know, I don't even know, church, religion, whatever, the Catholic church, right? My relationship with God was not personal. There, he was the big man upstairs. He was the guy with the big club in his hand, always looking and making sure that you were doing things right. And if not, he was ready to judge you. I mean, that's what I grew up in. That's the Catholic church I grew up in. And when my parents got divorced, we didn't get love. We got the left foot of fellowship. So I didn't understand this, obviously. I didn't understand that my relationship with God should be personal, one-on-one. It should be deep, meaningful, so meaningful and deep that it leads me to obedience. I just want to do what God asks of me. You know, when your kids are growing up, you know, they get to that place. It's like, hey, take out the garbage. It's not like, oh, not again. Yeah, okay. Why? Because the relationship with you. They understand that personal relationship and the impact that you're having in that relationship. I didn't get that in the first 12 years of my life, but I have learned it since. When Jesus came in into my life, it changed me. It made me want to be obedient. It made me want a fellowship. It made me want to be part with him. See, David's first thoughts were communication with God, fellowship with God. Communion with God. That was what David thought about. He didn't think about the problems. He thought about God. You see how David ran to God. Should we go up? Should we fight? He communed with God. I remember uh, you know, back in, in 1994. You know, that's getting farther back there all the time. You notice that? In 1994, when, when God called uh, Pastor Tina and I into full-time ministry, you know, it wasn't a simple decision. It wasn't like we, we graduated out of seminary and we were on, you know, staff in a children's ministry or whatever, getting paid, and then God said, hey, I want you to do this full time. And no, I was, I was running a business. We had a family. Um, we were running a business because there were times that she was the parts runner. She was the delivery person. With the kids in the, vehicle, in the vans or the cars or whatever, headed up to the warehouses to get the whatever we needed. We were business people. I mean, we were serving God. We were both involved in ministry. We were serving God. But when, but when God comes to you and says, hey, look, I see you've got a successful business there. But I'm calling you to do this. I mean, what do you do when you're faced with that? We had built the, the, the largest computer uh, company in the county we were at. We were the largest sole, sole 
computer store. All, all we were selling was computers, computer equipment, software, all that stuff. Back in, 19, in, in 1994, we were the largest in the county. We had uh, our manufacturing, and our, our second store was up in King County. We were manufacturing clone uh, PC computers and selling them, and we were doing very well. We were, we were actually at the point where we made the most money we'd ever made. I, re, I remember in 1994, or 1993, our income that year was $89,000. Almost $90,000. I don't know what that is in today's money, but that's pretty good money. Especially for a couple young young people, you know. And God was calling us to full-time ministry. Now, I know many of you guys have been here. What did full-time ministry mean? Oh, that meant I got a big fat paycheck, company car, and all the benefits. No. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, to me, he didn't say, hey, get in your Rolls Royce and follow me. Now, Don Ostrom had one of those. He had, a, he had a mutual friend of ours. He had a Rolls Royce, and he served in the ministry. He would get in that Rolls Royce, and he'd drive to SeaTac Airport, and he'd get on an airplane, and he'd go over to the mission field in the Philippines for, for months on end and, and come back and serve God, and God blessed his ministry. But that's why he told me. We've never, we've never been on a salary. We've had housing allowances, but we've never been on a salary. So when God called us in the full-time ministry, it wasn't like sit down, interview, okay, here, here is the pay scale, and here's the benefits that go with it. No, God said go. He said take up your cross and follow me. And we were faced. We were faced with that challenge as young business people. I mean, some of you business people know. I mean, at the height of your business, think about it if God had come into you and just said, okay, hand that over to somebody else. I want you to come. And follow me. You remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and, and he and he said said, "What do I need to do, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God?" And, and Jesus said, "You need to keep the commandments." He said, "All those I've done since my youth." And Jesus said, "One thing you lack: give everything you own away, and come and follow me." And it says he went away sad because things had him; he didn't have things. And so we were faced with that when we went into full-time ministry. Obedience is not always easy. When you're obedient to God, sometimes there's big choices to make. A 14-year-old facing a 7-foot, 6-inch or 7-foot, 8-inch giant in, in, in the valley, a mighty warrior from his youth, that is not a small thing. But you know what? There's no fear in obedience. See, that's where your relationship, your communication, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your paths. So let's talk about the importance of obedience. And I want to start with David's life because we've been in 1 Samuel here. Uh, and so I thought this is a good place to start again today with some, some connections about the importance of obedience. See, God had entrusted to David not only his men, his 600 mighty warriors, but also their families, the wives, their children, their financial well-being, 
their incomes, the protection, all of that had been entrusted to David with these mighty men that he had, that he had with him. And we see between chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 26 and verse 30, we see that uh, David, he's avoiding conflict with Saul, who wants to kill him because David has been now anointed king and Saul has lost his kingdom. And we see David and his men out warring. So, so David is strategically avoiding Saul, but yet out battling in war with his, with his mighty men. And in, in chapter 27, David flees from Saul and he goes and dwells in the land of the Philistines down in the land of Gath. Now, this is where Goliath came from. Do you think David was known in Gath? Yeah, David was known in Gath. And that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, right? I mean, there were probably those who wanted to kill him, Goliath's family. There were probably those who were in fear of him. I don't want, you know, they didn't want David and any of his mighty men coming near him because they saw what had happened, what God had done in the battle between Israel and the Philistines. But here goes David, he heads down to the Philistines in the land of Gath, knowing that Saul's not going to follow him here. And David is welcomed by Achish. Who's Achish? I mean, that's not a name you've heard a lot in the Bible, right? Achish, he's the king of the Philistines. And so David goes in and he's actually welcomed by the king of the Philistines but, and, and allowed to come and, and live and dwell in there. But David says, hey, look, it's not right that, that, that me and, and my men should be dwelling in the, in the, in the royal city and in, in, in the, the palace of, of you know, the king of, of the Philistines. And, and so uh, Akish says to him, he says, hey, look, why don't you go down to Ziglag? It's this little town down there. I'm giving it to you. It is yours. You can have it. You can take your men. You can set up home there. And so David goes down to Ziklag, <clears throat> down there to live. The interesting thing is, Ziklag became part of Judah because of, because of this. So go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 29. Let's go to verse 10. I want to read verses 10 and 11. So now that you've got a little bit of history around this. So Achish says to David, Now therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you, and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. Okay, so here's what's happening now. David and his mighty men are traveling around with the Philistines waging war. That's how they earned their money. That's how they got their loot. That's how they took other lands and they... And they you know, the Philistines would expand their, their territory. Well, David had become such good friends with him, they were out battling. But here now the Philistines are about ready to encounter a battle with Saul of Israel. And the princes of the Philistines say, hey, look, this may have been a good, good deal so far, but we don't like the fact that David and his men maybe in the middle of our camp when we go to fight Israel. What if David decides in the middle of the battle that he's no longer on our side, but he's on Saul's side? That could be a problem. And so Akish says, hey, look, here early in the morning, pack up, depart. Let us go to battle 
with Israel and Saul. You go back down to Ziklag. So David and his men rose early to, to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now remember, David had been put in charge of all the families for which the warriors fought with him. But what had, been, what had David been doing? David had been off fighting, pursuing the Amalekites, avoiding Saul. But what did God want David to do? God wanted to make sure not only that he, did, that, that he pursued those things and made the money, but that the, his people were protected. But David got too focused and forgot about what he was responsible for. Lack of obedience always has consequences. Because remember, David is the protection for Ziklag and the provider of the inhabitants. So let's go now down to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and read in verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now this would be a good point if I was talking to business people. I would talk about uh, the importance of being diligent or having a defensive strategy. Because many times business people go into business and they're always riding the waves of prosperity and then when there's a downturn, they haven't built any defenses and it harms them financially. Right? We should always have, whether you're in business or not, you should always have a backup plan. In every area, except for marriage and faith, you should have a backup plan. Because things change in life. COVID hits in February. What was your backup plan? Did you have food stored up? Did you have to toilet paper? I mean, who would have known that you'd go into every store in town and the shelves would be empty? It reminded me of being in Romania in the, in the mid-90s after Ceausescu was outed in 89 or 90 and Romania started to experience freedom. The stores were empty. It reminded me of some of that the Eastern European things they were dealing with when at the fall of the USSR. When the wall came down, and for those young people, the USSR is Russia and many of the Baltic nations, okay? Well, they don't teach history in school anymore, so you got to let some of these people know. We should always have a backup plan. David had no backup plan. Now let's read verses 2 and 3. And it says, and it had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their, went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Why? Because David was in disobedience. He was not doing what God had called him to do at that moment. He had, left it, he had left the camp unprotected. Now, I will tell you, when you read the story of David and the history of David, he never did it again. He learned his lesson. They say you learn, you, you learn nothing new from the second kick from a mule. All right? So it's good to learn the lesson the first time. 
But what's better is to understand it before you have to learn the lesson. I mean, parents, have you ever done that? Johnny, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Okay, mama. I burned my hand. Johnny, I told you not to touch the stove. Well, the smart ones don't do it again, right? I just say the smart ones. There's some of us who have been kicked a couple times by the mule. Or more. <laughs> so David left his people unprotected. He got into disobedience. Disobedience always has consequences. We're not going to talk anymore about, about the story. You can go read it. There's a happy ending. So go read it. It's a really good one. They lived happily ever after. Okay. Um, now let's talk about, we're kind of going backwards here. Israel, we're going to talk about Israel, how Israel had sin in the camp and how it affected them. It's the story of Ai and Achan. See, God's instruction, his word comes. God speaks to Joshua, and Joshua speaks to all the people. Let this word not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. You know, God's word is brought forth, the reading of the word to the nation, and God instructs them. And then Joshua is given some specific instructions regarding a city, the first city in the promised land that they're getting ready to encounter called Jericho. And he reads the instructions. Let's go to Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Joshua 6, 18 and 19. And here's the instructions. And you, by all means, abstain from the accused things, lest you become accused. When you take of the accused things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all of the silver and gold, and vessels of bronze and iron are concentrated to the Lord, and they come into the treasury of the Lord. See, God made it very clear that disobedience is sin, and sin leads to instruction. So let's just take a little departure here so we make sure that we're on the same page, right? Sin, it's wrongfulness. It's an offense or falling short of what God has designed as the best for you, it always leads to some form of destruction or curse. It's not having God's power working for you. Okay, it always leads to some kind of destruction or curse, not having God's power working for you. Uh, compare that to righteousness. Righteousness is innocence, just, or having equitable rights, fair or valid. It leads to completeness or blessing, or in other words, having God's power working for you. So the word of the Lord comes, and he says, hey, look, guys, the first is always God's. Okay, that's a principle. If you learn that principle, I mean, you're going you're gonna to do yourself good. The first is always God's. You hear it when we talk about tithes and offerings. The first is always God's. He talks about the first fruits, the first fruit offerings. The first is always God's. When they come into the promised land, God says, hey, this first city's mine. God said, this first city's mine. And so they come to the city, and he says, hey, look, don't let sin enter the camp. Do as I've instructed you. So now they approach Jericho. The walls fall. They Total destruction. They, 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 they do everything God says. They appear to do everything God says, and everything's great. Great victory for the nation of Israel. And now they look, set their eyes on the city of Ai. 
And they say, hey, look, the city of Ai has very little defenses. It's a small city. We can go up and overtake it with 3,000. So Joshua sends 3,000 mighty men up to Ai, and Ai beats them like a drum. Sends them running. Joshua's falling on his face. He's crying, God, we've done everything you said. We've, we've followed your instructions. We've been obedient. We, we, we are the, you, you, you know, your children. We are, we're doing what we're supposed to do. And here you allow our people to come in to defeat. Joshua chapter 7, verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up from, their, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. They had way more than enough men in the natural, but they were defeated. And in, in verse 10 and 11 of Joshua 7, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why do you lie thus on your face? I mean, God says that a lot to us, you know? And we're sitting there bawling and crying and whining, and God's like, What are you doing? I made you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Get up! Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my command or my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accused things and have both stolen and deceived. And they also put it among their own stuff. So what happens? A guy named Achan, right? He, he uh, is attacking as Jericho and he comes into a tent. And he sees a bright, shiny Rolex presidential 48 diamond watch sitting right there, right? He sees the pretty thing. He sees the gold. He sees, uh, you know, the, the idols. He sees the valuables, right? And so that's okay. Nobody will miss this and nobody will know. Disobedience. Disobedience opened the door for destruction and a curse. It opened the, uh, the door for God's power to not be in working for them. Why? Because they had more than enough men to take Ai. If God's power was working for them, they would have prevailed. There's many times in our life that if we had God's power working for us, we would have prevailed, but we've transgressed. We haven't been obedient. We thought we could do it on our own. We had our own plan. And it came to destruction. So now let's go back and let's look at the Let's look at uh, how mankind was affected by disobedience. See, even in the most perfect environments, the temptation of self can destroy destiny. I mean, here we have Adam and Eve, right? We got the story of creation. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Now in the original text it says, in the day that you eat it, dying, you shall die. Muth, muth. It, it's the same word used twice. What is God talking about? He says, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to die spiritually. And when you die spiritually, the natural occurrence will be that you will die physically. Spiritual death will, 
will lead to a natural death. And so here you have Adam and Eve. They've got everything they need. They've got every other tree in, in the garden. They've got every provision for them. All they have to do is tend and keep it. I mean, think about that. That would be like God saying, go to the Biltmore Fashion Plaza. Take anything you want every day as long as you want. But leave Nordstrom's to me. That's mine. Don't touch it. It's the only store I shop up there. So I, it's the only one I even know that's in there. I had to use it as an example. Uh, and you're up there in the other stores, whatever's up there. I'm assuming. There's a Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm assuming there's a Macy's and a Dillard's. There's probably some of those stores up there. Uh, and you're shopping. But you keep looking at Nordstrom's, right? And then temptation hits. And now you start wanting what you're not supposed to have. And this little snake, Satan, he start, you know, he, he, he's there uh, uh, talking to you. Just, you know, God really didn't mean that. He didn't really mean that if you touch it, you shall surely die. And then what happens? The word gets confused. And that happens a lot of times in our life because we're not in this word. The enemy is able to attack our mind, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And we don't stand vigilant with the word. And all of a sudden, we start going, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Why can't I touch something? Why can't I have something that's in Nordstrom's, right? And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. God had said, this, one is, this tree is reserved. I mean, think about our society. There was a time when we, when we preached uh, righteous relationships, holy relationships. And now fornication is just part of our society. It's okay. Well, yeah, I know God said we shouldn't have a relationship until we're married, but you know, nobody will know, and everybody's doing it. And look, all the television programs say that it's okay, and people are, are, are kind of laughing at us because you know, I won't go to a, a restaurant alone with her because I don't want, anybody, I don't want her to feel compromised and, and, uh, and those kind of things, right? And so our society now goes, you know what, it's okay. We, we, we can have a relationship. We can try before we buy, right? I mean, that's really what it has become, but it's disobedience to God. God wants the best for us. He didn't set that up so you don't have any fun, you don't have any enjoyment. He set it up for your best life. So now we come to Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the Nordstrom store, I mean, excuse me, that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. See, God had a better plan for them. But disobedience leads to destruction. It leads to a curse. It led to the destruction of how God intended our lives to be. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So let me ask these two questions again of you today. 
You may want to write these down. I think they're important and you should ponder them. What actions have you taken this week in obedience to God in some area of your life? What action have you taken this week in obedience to God in some area of your life? And the second one says, what act of obedience are you going to take this coming week in obedience to Christ? What are you going to do next week? This isn't a one-time thing. It's like, oh, man, I was obedient to God last week, so next week it's just party city. I can do what I want. No, this is a lifestyle because this is a relationship. This is, this is about communion with God on a regular basis. This is a, this obedience. That's why diligence is so important. We need to diligently hearken to the word. We need to diligently absorb this word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by this word. We need to be diligent with it. In Luke 11, 28, Jesus said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. See, it's not just about hearing it. There are, there are millions of people this morning hearing the word of God in church services. But how many of them are keeping it? How many of them are applying it? How many of them are living it? How many of them are being obedient to it? In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus went a little farther and he fell on his face. And he prayed saying, Oh Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as you will. See, Jesus didn't even allow loss of his life to prevent him from obedience to God. That's true obedience. Jesus said, hey, if there's another way, Father, that, that this tragedy doesn't have to come upon me, let's take that road. But if there isn't, I'm obedient. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to do what I came here to do. In Philippians 2.8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. Did you, did you know that God highly exalts you when you're obedient? That is, because His power is working for you. It's a new dimension. God's power working on your behalf. And He was highly exalted and gave Him a name that's above every name. A name that we get to use. And when we're using it in accordance, in obedience with God's Word, when we're hearing the Word and doing it, there's power. In that word, there's power in the name that's above every name. There's power. I mean, think about Hebrews 11, 4 through 6. Eric, I didn't give you these, but let's just go over to Hebrews 11. I want to read these as we're coming towards the end. Hebrews 11, 4 through 6. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. What made it more excellent? He was obedient. He offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. 
And though he being dead, through which he obtained a witness, he was righteous, it means he had right standing, and though he being dead, still speaks. See, his obedient act had God's power working for it. His act of obedience. See, when we act in obedience with God, it has, it has eternal consequences. And that's what we're put on, on this earth for. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch, he didn't see death. He was not found because God had taken him. But before he was taken, he had this testimony. This was his testimony. That he pleased God. He was in fellowship with him. He was in communion with him. He was in obedience with God. And verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please now, in the original text, the word God's not in the, next, in, in the next. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please. Why? Because faith is an act of obedience. When we act in faith, it's being obedient. Peter said to Jesus, hey, can I come out and walk in the water? Jesus said, come. He in obedience. His faith was, was activated. And in obedience, he stepped out on the water. It wasn't until he got into disobedience by allowing fear to come in that he started to to sink. So without faith, it's impossible to please. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently pursue him, those who diligently align with him, those who diligently walk in obedience with him. Obedience. There's power in obedience. In Romans 5.19, it says, For by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. So the question today is, is that you? Were you made righteous? Maybe you're watching today and you go, you know what? I, I, I'm not righteous. I, I, I know that, that, that I've fallen short of what God's plan is for me. Don't let Adam's disobedience define you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God wants to put you in a right standing, in a right place. I didn't say perfect you. I said make you righteous. And that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you're here or if you're watching uh, by any means, I want to invite you into the kingdom. I want you to invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not complicated and if you would, I would like to, to say a prayer with you and invite you in. It's simple. Just say, Father, I receive Jesus. I receive him as my Savior. I ask Jesus to come into my heart. I believe he's the Son of God. That he died, took away my sin, and rose again. And I now call him Lord. Amen. If you receive Christ this morning, if you, if you put on that robe of righteousness, if you become righteousness by becoming a child of, of God this morning, I invite you to go out to our website and send us a note. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to connect with you because Jesus truly is Lord of all and welcome to the kingdom.
Amen? Amen. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com. Or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.